All right, well, now we'll turn to God's Word, and we're going to hear Him speak to us there. We're going to be in John 1 and John 7, and we're going to do just like we did a moment ago. I'm going to invite uh, Shung forward, a good friend, and one of our deacons here at the church, um, who's going to read, and he's going to start by reading in Chinese and then read in English. So thank you, Shung. Again, a beautiful tribute to what happened that day on Pentecost. To try to figure out my Chinese, okay. <laughs> okay, um, so in Chinese, uh, John chapter 1, verses uh, 29 to 34. 我先前不认识他，如今我来用水施洗，为要叫他显明给以色列人。约翰又做见证说，我曾看见圣灵仿佛鸽子从天降下，住在他的身上。我先前不认识他，只是那差我来用水施洗的对我说：“你看见圣
Thank you. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Our God will stand forever. Amen. Thank you for that reading, Sean. I recognized one word, Yesu, right? <laughs> Probably didn't pronounce it quite right, but I recognized that one. Um, <clears throat> well, sometimes we notice things because we're paying attention. We're slowing down and taking our time, and we see things that we may not have seen otherwise. Yesterday, in the middle of a busy day, I sat down behind the house with my son for a few minutes. I could see down to the river behind the house, and I noticed some people were kayaking down the river. I saw birds come and go, and many other pleasant things that I would not have seen otherwise had I not taken a moment to slow down and pay attention. Sometimes, other times, we notice things because they're really out of place. You don't really need to be paying attention to see them. They're out of place. I remember when we were driving through South Dakota a couple of summers ago, we began to see signs for wall drug in Wall, South Dakota. We drove several hundred miles along Interstate 90. I think there's like six or 700 miles of Interstate 90 in South Dakota. And throughout, you can find these signs for this random drugstore all along the road. We must have seen a sign for this, again, to us, very random drugstore every few miles. And uh, Felicia, you can go ahead and pull up the first image. There was nothing all that exciting about the signs themselves, um, just that they were so numerous and in the middle of these wide open spaces. You couldn't miss these signs. You don't have to be paying attention to notice that sign. And they were everywhere. If any of you ever been out to that part of the country, every few miles on that interstate, you'll, you'll see some kind of a Waldrug uh, billboard. What's funny is that Waldrug store is now famous, not so much for their store, but for their self-promotion. For all of the billboards and their ads. While you're still hundreds of miles away, you can find signs telling you to stop in at Waldrug and get a donut or a free cup of ice water or some other thing. Eventually, this became an iconic thing and a movement began where people began to make signs about how far they were from Waldrug, were from Waldrug. So a lot of these signs would say, 307 miles to Waldrug in Wall. 224 miles to Waldrug. So people began to pick up on this and just make their own signs all over the place with the distance to Waldrug from wherever they were. And Felicia, you can pull up that second image. Here is one of the more extreme examples of such signs. You probably can't read it all that well from where you are but it says this is a tank in world war ii and it says 4136 miles to wall drug and it has an arrow so <laughs> for some these signs became a source of hope like maybe in this case this was a 
you know, a grounding thing. It was a way of, of sort of acknowledging where you were in, to rela- in relation to where home was. It became a source of hope. And reminding them maybe of what they were fighting for and where home was. As we were driving along Interstate 90, those signs, again, could not be missed among the fields of crops and grass and massive windmills. One thing is for sure, when we got near to Wall, what do you think we did? We went to Wall Drug in South Dakota. We were going to make a stop. And so you can pull up the final image. And you can't see it that great, but that green sign there says Wall Drug Store. So we did make it <laughs> to the, to the much-anticipated Wall Drug Store. And actually, when you get home, if you're interested, you can Google that. And you can find signs from all over the place. There's even a famous image of a guy in Antarctica with a wall drug sign, 11,000 something miles. I think that's the longest one uh, that's been uh, had a picture of or whatever. Well, in biblical times, the Jewish people were not looking for a store. No wall drug in those times. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for this person that had been told about over and over and over again. This coming one who would deliver them from sin and oppression. The Old Testament was filled with big billboards, big signs like the wall drug billboards, so to speak, telling them about this person who was to come. And one of the things we read repeatedly about this figure, this coming person was that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we read earlier in the service in Isaiah 11, this coming one would be one upon whom the Spirit would rest and remain, not come and go as it had with Samson and David and King Saul and others, but the Spirit would rest upon him and remain. We read the same in Isaiah 42 in the famous servant of the Lord section in Isaiah. Another sign telling us what the coming one would be like you can find there. And also in Isaiah 61, a passage that Jesus himself would quote in Luke 4. Jesus is in the synagogue and he's going to do the reading that day and and the teaching. And he reads out of the scroll of Isaiah 61 and says, this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, what do you think it said? Here's what the section he read says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sat down and said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. So when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus and he saw the spirit of God descend like a dove and remain upon Jesus, as it says in our passage today in John one, he began to connect the dots. This is the one. This is the guy we've been reading about and expecting And the Spirit was going to descend upon and remain. He would be anointed for this ministry. Jesus 
was the much-awaited coming one anointed with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, to be and do all of the things and perform the signs in the Old Testament scriptures that were foretold of the Messiah. So here's the big idea I want to try and get across uh, to us today. Because the Holy Spirit remained upon Jesus, we must recognize the Holy Spirit's important role in the work and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to do many wonderful, wonderful things, but the Spirit of God was a part of this ministry as well. I want to talk just a little bit about that this morning. So maybe to say it another way, the person of the Holy Spirit is not an incidental detail in the life and the ministry of Jesus, but a vital aspect in the work of Christ. It's fair to say that apart from the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ is dead to us. We cannot appreciate it. We cannot understand it. We cannot even believe it apart from the inward working of the Holy Spirit. Like the famous wall drug signs, we would pass right by wall drug if it were not for the signs pointing us, drawing us there and the inward working of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to it. The work of the Spirit of God is like, in a way, those signs drawing us, showing us, revealing to us the beautiful and unique person of Jesus Christ. This leads us to point number one. Point number one is Jesus is the focal point of the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Holy Spirit works to draw people to Jesus. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important in the ministry of Christ. The Holy Spirit does not distract us from the person and work of Jesus. It is not as though the Jesus and the Holy Spirit are somehow competing for attention or for praise, both being God. They're not competing. The Spirit of God is happy to bring people to Jesus and for himself to remain in the backdrop. Another way of saying this is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point people to the ministry of Jesus. This is the main thing the Holy Spirit does, is open our eyes and awaken us to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We saw this last week already, so I won't go too deep into this point again. But one way we see this is in what we've already seen this morning. The Spirit of God was the key indicator to John the Baptist that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God come to rescue us. John says, I myself didn't know him. He doesn't mean he literally didn't know who he was. They were relatives, right? They were in one another's family, so they they knew one another that way. What he meant was this thing happened that opened my eyes to whom Christ really was. The Messiah, the Christ. Look with me at verses 32 through 34. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, namely God, said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The effect of the Spirit of God remaining upon Jesus was that John the Baptist realized that Jesus was the long-awaited coming one. And so it is today. John recognizes here that the one upon whom the Spirit rests, Jesus, would also be able to baptize with the Spirit. In other words, because Jesus was full of the Spirit, he is equipped and able to give the Spirit to others. In John chapter 3, verse 34, Jesus says, speaking of himself, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus has the Spirit in full measure, and he can give it in full measure. And as we saw last week, once, uh, once Christ was enthroned and all authority was given to him by the Father, he promised to send the Spirit, which he did at Pentecost, which is what we're remembering today. And that Spirit whom Jesus gives puts the spotlight on Christ. Spotlight on Jesus. John 15, uh, in John 15, Jesus says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus said in John 15, Christ is the focal point of the ministry of the Spirit of God. Maybe one point of application for us as we ponder this is if we're believers and the Spirit has been given to us, then our lives should be Christ centered as well, should be focused on Christ. Right? If the Spirit's in our heart and the Spirit's work is to draw us to Jesus and and put the, the focus and attention on Jesus, then our lives likewise should reflect that and be focused upon Christ. And if we want others to be filled with the Spirit of God and their lives to be changed, then we should do what the Spirit does. Namely, point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think believers are pointing people to other things. Are we not? Perhaps not intentionally. I mean, I think maybe in many cases we mean well. Maybe we're pointing people to morals, to be a good person, to a righteous life. There's some good in there somewhere, right? It's good intention. To be a good person, to come to church. Certainly want people to come to church. It's a blessing to be together as the body of Christ. But if we make it all about that, coming to church, we've missed the point, right? Or maybe sometimes we point them to things like politics or whatever else. Fill in the blank of the issue that may be the thing that oftentimes we struggle to point people to. Somehow, in those things, Jesus is kind of in the backdrop there. He's not front and center. He's in the back somewhere. But if we want people to be saved and we want people to be full of the Holy Spirit, we must point them to Christ this is what the Spirit of God does. And this is what we should do too. That's point number one. And then point number two. We're only going to have two points this morning. The Holy Spirit is the one who enlivens our hearts. Enlivens our hearts or gives life to our hearts. 
The Bible says that when a person is born, they are dead in sin. Physically, there is life, but spiritually, we are dead when we are born. The Bible gives us many images of this. One of the more powerful images of this sort of spiritual death that all of us inherit uh, from our first father, from our uh, ancestors, Adam and Eve. One of the most powerful images of that death is one we looked at a few months ago during our study of Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. Some of you will remember that, Ezekiel 37. You and I, spiritually, are like dry bones. And only by the working of the Spirit of God can we experience true life. Look with me now at John chapter 7, the second part of our reading from this morning. On the last day of the feast, starting at verse 37 there, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And there's so much going on here, it's a tempting to comment on on a lot of what's being said here but to understand what's happening in this moment there in john 7 some background a little bit of background will be helpful and these words of jesus in verses 37 and 38 would have taken place during the annual feast of tabernacles which is also known as the feast of booths and so there in verse 37 it's on the last day of the feast it's the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths Uh, that they're uh, celebrating and participating in. The feast took place in the fall, and it ran seven days. And so this moment here is on uh, the great day, which was near the the last day or the end of the feast. And This was one of the more popular feasts in Israel, and people would flock to Jerusalem to celebrate it. During the feast, those dwelling in rural areas would build small huts or tent-like structures out of leaves and branches to live in for a week. In the towns, people would make their structures on their flat roofs or in the courtyards. So they're kind of like makeshift camping, as it were. The feast was to remember and commemorate God's faithfulness to his people during their time in the wilderness when they lived in tents and booths. If you'll remember, um, God delivered his people out of bondage in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for many, many years and they lived in tents and, and uh, these makeshift shelters. And they're remembering that time in the history of their people. It was a celebratory event that also celebrated the ingathering of the harvest. So it's fall and you've got multiple things uh, going on. Well, one of the more well-known features of this feast was a water drawing rite that took place uh, during the festival, near the end of the festival. Scholars say that a vessel... Uh, some kind of a pot or a pouring jar or something would be filled up with water from the pool of Siloam and would be carried in a procession led by the high priest back to the temple. And as the group approached the temple, there would be trumpet blasts, which were a sign of joy and celebration. And certain psalms would be sung by the people, uh, by the temple choir, and the scriptures would be read. So there was there was a liturgy to it, an order to these, these things that were, that were being done. The water would be brought before the Lord, along with the wine 
And both would be poured out as an offering to him in worship. And I believe some of this would have happened around the time of like the morning sacrifice when sacrifices were being offered. And they would come and bring uh, the water and wine and pour it out before the Lord um, in an act of worship as an offering to him. These things symbolized God's provision of water in the wilderness. Right? Again, remember, they were traveling through the wilderness for 40 years in desert, in wilderness, and needed sustenance and water. And the water was a way of remembering that God provided for them in the wilderness. And the wine was a way of remembering his promise to pour out his spirit in the last days, again, which was prophesied and we read about um, in the Old Testament. Jesus and many others would have watched the processions and would have listened to the singing of psalms and the reading of scriptures. And at this dramatic moment near the end of the celebration, when the water is being poured out and these things are happening, he stands up and says these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow Rivers of living water. Try and imagine it in your mind's eye. Maybe having some of the background helps us understand the power of what Jesus was saying in that moment. Everyone's gathered there at the temple. They're singing, watching the water and wine being poured out, pointing to the coming day when the Spirit of God will be poured out upon His people. And Jesus stands and says these words. In that time and place, most Jews did not believe that the Spirit of God was active. Right? God would send a prophet from time to time in the Old Testament to draw the people back and speak to them. But it had been a long time since God had done anything like that. And many Jews believed the Spirit was not really working in their day. But they looked forward to the day when the Spirit of God would come. A day that was believed would dawn with the coming of the Messiah. Jesus was saying, the day has come. Your Messiah is here. Believe in me. You will have life. I am the one who gives the Spirit that gives life, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that this promised Spirit will be poured out on every person who believes in Jesus and they will be turned from spiritual death to spiritual life. This was the very purpose for which Jesus came, to give true life to all who believe. Some of you will know the story in John 3. He's talking with a man named Nicodemus. And Jesus is describing this event when the Spirit comes into a person's life. And it's so radical, so changing, so altering in every way that he says it's like being born again. It's like being born again, a whole new life. This is what the Spirit does. And this life is given through the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Like water flowing in the desert, the Spirit of God brings life. But just like with Jesus, the Spirit of God remains upon every believer. And He remains to comfort and help and strengthen and purify and teach and reveal The work of the Holy Spirit is not done the moment He comes into your life. You are born again. You are made new. But He is working constantly to root out sin and teach you what is right and good and beautiful. All your life, 
working for your good. One of the lies of our enemy, I think, is to try and convince us that God is out to rob us of joy. When that voice inside of you says, and men were talking about this uh, this morning down at men's group. When that voice inside of you says, don't do that. Don't you dare do that. And we're tempted with something sinful. That is the spirit of God working with your conscience, not to rob you of some pleasure or some thing that you desire. Or to keep you from something that would make you happy in the end. On the contrary, he's working for your good and your joy and blessing and peace. The Holy Spirit is not a thief. It's our great enemy that is the thief. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life in that more abundantly. The Holy Spirit enlivens our hearts, fights for our joy and our good. And like those famous billboards spread across Interstate 90 in South Dakota, he does so over and over and over again by bringing us back to the one who lived and died and was raised for us. The next hymn we're going to sing in just a moment speaks to this. I'm going to invite Deb to come forward and get ready. The second line in this hymn says this, More about Jesus let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. This is the good work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together now. Lord, we could speak of many things that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. But the focal point, the big one, is to lead us to Jesus and bring us to new life. We're thankful, God, to be partakers of that new life and to know the Lord Jesus by faith. I pray that any person here that has yet to know Jesus truly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Would today be the day? Holy Spirit, work now to even create faith and will to live for Christ. We love you and we thank you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.